Welcome to season two of Gray Maybe, a limited series podcast and social experiment based on this season's topic, the body. My name is Jillian Schmitz. I'm a professional dancer, actor, teacher, author, artist, and cat lover. Through my own personal journey of recovery, I've found that things aren't just black or white, or as simple as yes or no. For me, in my recovery, there has been mostly gray area and a lot of maybes. In most of my stories, you can find the gray maybe. I will be sharing my own process through personal stories, interviews, and hopefully stories from listeners in an effort to help lessen the stigma and shame of disordered eating, eating disorders, and body image. If you'd like to share your story of ED recovery on this podcast, anonymous or otherwise, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Before we get started, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're using to catch future episodes of Gray Maybe. A note before we begin. The topic of disordered eating, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, and other behavior related to the body may not be difficult for me to share anymore, but it wasn't always this way. I recognize and anticipate the possibility of judgment or disbelief about my experiences, ranging from my own family members to strangers, in addition to the potentiality of losing certain opportunities for publicizing my own experiences. My stories and the stories of others on this podcast are told through the lens of our own experience. The revelation of our process is ours to tell. If you disagree with the views or stories on this podcast, know that we are not speaking on anything other than our own experiences and viewpoints. Take what you like and leave the rest. Nothing expressed or mentioned in this podcast is an endorsement or is meant to be taken as suggestion or advice. It is strictly the sharing of our own experiences and recovery. Any feelings this podcast activates in the listener is for the listener to process and recover from. Any criticism you have based on these experiences and choices are yours, and they are not anyone else's burden to carry. Trigger warning. Eating disorder, disordered eating, anorexia, bulimia, body dysmorphia, drug use, and suicide. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Gray Maybe. Thank you for joining us today. I have a very official person. This person is actually my financial advisor. Very, very, very important person in your life. If you don't have a financial advisor, I highly suggest you seek one out. And hey, I'm interviewing one today, so you might actually be able to link up with him at some point. This person today is a very special friend of mine. I'm lucky enough to have a friendship with this person, have gotten to know them over quite a few years now, pre-pandemic is when we met, and I found this individual to be one of the most insightful and honest people in in recovery, in his shares, in his relation to um, this particular ailment, and I'm so pumped and uh, I feel so privileged that he agreed to come on and talk about it. This is my friend, Kevin. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. And will you kind of reintroduce yourself to anyone who might want to know a little bit about you? Of course, of course. Thank you, thank you, Julian. Thanks for those kind words. Like, yeah, like likewise. You know, our friendship is 
Yeah, it's been pre, uh, pre-pandemic, you know, we're back when we, when we were going to meetings. Can I, can I talk about? You know, yes, yes. Um, we met in OA, which is a 12-step program for overeaters. I mention it a lot on this podcast. Even though it's called Overeaters Anonymous, you don't have to be an overeater to qualify. This, this is a very broad program. Neither Kevin and I would necessarily, I think, relate to being just an overeater. And we found a lot of solace there. But yes, we met there. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, we met there when the program was thriving. And, and then post-pandemic, it really it really fell apart. It was a uh, it's, it's been kind of sad, actually, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I mean, we, I, I was going to maybe two meet, two meeting, two or three meetings a week mm-hmm. and we would do fellowship and there was a real camaraderie. And then once the pandemic hit, uh, you know, everyone stayed home and went on zoom meetings and I did those for a while, but I just really, I, I just missed the spontaneous connection of, of fellowshipping. And, and, you know, when you're on zoom, it really can be only one person talking at a time. So it's hard to have kind of this banter and so that kind of um, sort of communal feeling that yeah. you would get in live in live person. So, uh, so I've been going back to meetings now, but it really the attendance is not there uh, like it used to be. So yeah, I just I feel bad for some of the people who I just wonder about what if you know the people in recovery if they've maybe they've lost their abs- abstinence. Have we talked about abstinence on this on this pod? Yes, yes. So I talk about a sobriety, but an abstinence is also that for um, people who don't know, we talk about abstinence in OA as, you know, what abstinence is. It's relinquishing from a certain behavior. So some people have an abstinence of not eating sugar because they're addicted to sugar. Some people's abstinence is not. So one of my abstinences, for example, is not restricting because that's what I like to do. Um, so yes. So I, I wonder as well, all of our fellows, we had a really good, strong community, especially at the Tuesday meeting that we used to go to. And I wonder a lot about some of those fellows. Um, so that's where we met. That's the only way we really know each other. And then we've continued a friendship and I've, Mm -hmm. I've, you know, have employed you as my, um, financial advisor. That is what you do for work. You're very smart with the finances. Um, and you go ahead. Well, I've also started after the pandemic, I started playing. I used to be a professional musician. That's, that's right. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. Yeah. So that's how I, that's how I used to. Uh, so I made my money doing that. And then I started only taking uh, gigs that paid. For, so when people would call me, I would I would only ask about how, how much it paid. And I didn't get into music because I wanted to make money. I got into music because I like the way, it, you know, to play. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a lot easier ways to make money than by playing music. Oh, yes. There's a lot of easy ways to make money than be an artist. In fact, right. I can think of every other way to make money than yeah. be an artist. Right. And, and, you know, people say, oh, you do what you love. Well, it, I mean, it's only maybe 20% of the time that you're doing right. what you love. You know, the other time you're hustling and doing stuff. So so I stopped playing professionally and I took, went to financial advising. And, and just after the pandemic, I just I got so, so cooped up and I just wanted to go get a band, you know, so I joined a band and now we've been playing out a lot. And so it's, it's been really, it's been really fun and people are wanting to come out again and, and, and see, I'm sure it's, it's the same thing in, in your, are they familiar with what you do? The, yes. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are most likely dancers. So oh, they yeah. definitely relate to the gig nature, the artist nature, yeah. all of that stuff. Another crazy thing is that I don't think we've talked about at all, um, which I'm glad that you kind of, interluded with is that when we all went to the pandemic and zoom did become like a primary form of communication people who do have body dysmorphia like 
the Zoom situation is not ideal. Like it's not, <laughs> it's kind of like a setup. Um, and so also for a program like OA that is so, you know, much about people, their bodies, their feelings about their bodies, their image, their body dysmorphia, how they view themselves. It's probably like I never I did like a couple of meetings over Zoom with OA when I was in New York working, um, but I didn't do a ton of them. And so I don't really know what that culture was like, but I can't imagine like that of all the programs OA thrived the most with Zoom, you know, like I can't yeah. imagine that that is I feel like that is probably part of like the reason why it might have had such a hard time continuing um, on top of like people with eating disorders, body dysmorphia, disordered eating, all of those things. I do find them as a group of people to be some of the most secretive of all of the, of oh, all the okay. programs. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, that, that I should segue into kind of my story because of yes. this. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I, I'm a um, compulsive overeater bulimic recovering bulimic. I, I've, I've been, I've had five years of, of, of recovery from, from, from pur purging, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it started, it, it started really innocently, you know, I, I would like, I, I used to take my ex-girlfriend out. Can I be explicit about foods? Can I talk about specific kinds of foods? Yes, we put a lot of trigger, we put a lot of trigger warnings on and, um, I guess the only thing is like, if there is anything that you think is like telling someone how to have an eating disorder, you might want to restrain from like your, if it's, I guess, like use your own judgment. We can put tons of triggers on, trigger warnings on. Um, I know like one of my guests re refrained from saying a couple of things just because uh, she was like, I don't want to give people that information because I feel like they might want to use it. Yeah. Um, but it's a fine line between us being brutally honest in, in our behavior and other people hearing that and be like, oh my God, I do that too, or I want to do that or whatever and, okay. and destigmatizing it. And then also like, you know, giving people a play, a playbook and how to really get, get, get into it. But at the same time, you can't make anybody not do anything or you can't make anybody do anything. So everybody okay. has their own responsibility, but go ahead. Tell me when you think how it began for you. It, well, it's, I mean, I didn't start it. I wasn't bulimic in high school. I mean, I, I always had a weird problem with food in the sense that I came from a family where, uh, like I didn't slap, like, for example, my mom didn't really eat dinner with us at the table. She kind of just would never serve herself. Do you and know there's a term for this now? What, what's it called? An almond mom. That's, it's a mom who's like eating a handful of almonds yeah. and that's it. Like that right. they don't eat. They're like moms that don't eat. Yeah. And I thought that was their superpower. Like, oh, moms, like, the, you know, like they, they don't eat. They don't eat because that's what just their gift, you know, to the world is, you know, they, <laughs> they, 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 they get not, you know, they don't have to worry about, you know, caloric, caloric. Yeah. Energy. Women don't eat. We don't eat. We don't yeah, need yeah, it. Yeah, Our so bodies eat. don't need food. We yeah. just keep moving. Just breathe. You just, yeah, just, just breathe. breathe. Yeah, it's, it's in the air, you know. But um, so anyhow, so that so I I but I I modeled that a lot, and so I would eat sometimes like the same thing every day. Like for in high school, I would get like a, a bagel and an ice cream sandwich, and I would eat that every day for lunch. So I de definitely had disordered eating, but mm -hmm. I wasn't bulimic mm -hmm. until it started with when I was going out with my ex girlfriend, and we would go out to get um, frozen yogurt or ice cream, and mm -hmm. she could finish hers, and so I would eat hers. And then I would eat too much. Mm. And then ice cream being the nature, it's kind of, you know, it's not really food. It's, it's, it was easy right. to purge. Right. And so I, I taught my body how to do that. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it really was no problem for me. It wasn't painful. It didn't hurt. I mean, I just, I, maybe lucky, unlucky, it was really easy for me to purge. So mm. I just started, I just, it just, I started eating more and more and purging more and more to the point where it just became completely normal to me that that behavior. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell anyone. And so, uh, so that was about a year. So then I was full blown. Like, like uh, every night I would go, I'd, I'd go to work, uh, would come back and go to the market and buy a bunch of food and just watch TV and uh, binge and purge and just mm-hmm. until I fell asleep. And, and uh, it, I mean, it, sorry, Quinny. <laughs> little dog sneeze. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, so that would happen. And then, uh, and then, I just, it just, the cycle just kept going, it kept getting deeper and deeper. And I fell into more shame because I knew, I knew it was gross. I knew it was ugly. It's the kind of thing that you can't, like, you can't be a social bulimic, you know, yeah. like, like a social drinker. Like there's no way to, to be a bulimic and like, I'll just have a couple throw ups. You know? yeah, yeah. No, yeah. you're going to be caught for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's not like, you know, like I'm not in the, <laughs> in like, Hey, yeah, like, you know, come over and, we'll, and, you know, we'll binge and purge a little bit and then go home. You know, it's like there's no happy hour for bulimia. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's even more it's it's way more so than even just like restricting. I do feel like that works best, too, when someone's eyes aren't on you. Um, But you can't always lie. Like I lied a lot to people like, oh, I already ate or oh, I'm not hungry. That was I used to say that a lot. I'm not hungry. Yeah, you just say that all the time. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry or there's nothing here I can eat. Like this food isn't, it's bad for you food, you know, right, like, right. Oh, it's, I can't eat it. I, I'm not hungry. And that was like all a lie, but it, it got people off my back. Well, I, I went one step further. I would tell people that I was, uh, a, a celiac. I was, glu- I, I was allergic to gluten. We I, both did that. You and I, I, I both did that. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah. I made up all these, I have, a, I'm allergic to X, Y, Z, you know, everything. And the coolest thing about that, well, but it's that it got me a lot of attention because everyone would be like, Oh, Kevin, like he's so, you know, he's so fragile. He can't eat all this stuff. Oh, you know, Kevin, like, can oh. you have this? We should make yeah. something special yeah. for Kevin. Yeah, yeah, ask Kevin, yeah. ask and for then, Kevin's special dietary. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they're like, I'm like, Oh, he's, you know, he's, and, and there was nothing wrong with me. I was completely fine. Hold on. Like, my Quinny's going first. Yeah. Yeah. Go see what Quinny's up to. Sorry. She needs to be the lap dog. She's yeah. a lap dog doggy. She, she's, she's a queen. Doing, yeah, she's getting too much. I'm, I'm getting too much attention and she's getting jealous. Right. Okay. So. Well, I'm glad we have her. So yeah. I did the same thing at one point. I was very convinced that I had a wheat intolerance, like close to celiac or like that I just couldn't, you know, like I couldn't metabolize bread products. I also at the same time had a this belief that they were very bad for me, that mm-hmm. um that that I that they were doing irreparable harm to my digestion and my system and that it was somehow like borderline toxic. But really, for me, what was happening was I was starving all the time. And then when I would cave and eat something, I would eat something so highly caloric. And if I did eat like like pizza or something, and yeah. that would be bread. And of course, like then I wouldn't go to the bathroom because my metabolism had been slowed down and sluggish because I hadn't been eating. And then I piled on like, you know, dense food, probably wasn't drinking enough water. So, of course, then I'm going to like deal with constipation. If you're not regular, regularly eating, you're not going to regularly poo. And so I always say that not because I like, you know, talking about my bathroom habits to anybody who would listen, but it is a thing. And I really thought that I had a problem until in recovery, 
when I ate normal meals, I was like, oh, I can eat those things and it's totally fine. But you and I bonded over that. I remember we were both like, oh yeah, I had like all these allergies. And I love that you had the insight to be like, well, and then I got attention for it. I never wanted attention. I wanted people to like ignore that, that had anything to do with food, but I love that you had that insight because it's so fucking honest, Yeah, you know, like why we do the things we do. And I so relate to you talking about righteousness in restricting, which you've yeah. talked about before. Would you elaborate? You talked a little bit about it with women. Like she's a superhero because she doesn't eat. Yeah. Like seeing your mom. Like we talk about that a little bit because it's one of my favorite things you've ever mentioned. Yeah. Well, I've also thought it's so I was so distorted in my thinking that I actually had the superpower. Like, so I'm bulimic. So I have this, this, this gift mm. to, to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and you will never see it on my body. Right. It's like, can you imagine? I mean, that's like, that's pretty much nirvana if you think about it. Like, like that's like, it like, and so I really thought of myself as, as like, like I mean, it was, it was like the height of arrogance, really. You thought you found a loophole. Yeah. <laughs> I had that loophole to the, to the eating. And so I found a way that I could eat whatever I wanted, you know, just, can you imagine? I mean, just like eating, you know, what, just anything you want for forever. And then it never, you never had the effect of it. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I never would look overweight. I'd always look good. So eat whatever you want and look and look. I mean, look, I mean, I got too, I definitely got too skinny, but, um, but I never, you know, I always could control it too. Um, right. So, yeah. So, that, so the, the, those kinds of, yeah, kind of having this, this superpower, like, like, oh, you know, like the, the, it's, it's been a theme through my life. Even when I was a kid, like as a, when I was playing music, I thought that like uh, artists, like I didn't have to deal with the real world because I was mm. an artist and I was gifted and, mm. and there was a lot of arrogance in the way that I, that I grew up. Like I, like I had some superpower that you didn't have, you don't, you don't have, and I don't have to do the things that you have to do. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about my bank account. I don't have to, you know, go to the market or, or you know, just a lot of entitlement, you know, and, right. so, and that, and that same, that transferred over with, um, with food, I was entitled because I, I had this, because I, I could, you know, pe and people will comment on me like, Kevin, how do you eat so much and stay so thin? I go, well. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm just like, lucky, I guess. Just like that. I got high metabolism, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never went for the high metabolism yeah. line, but I did tell people a lot that like, oh, I'm just eating clean. There was like definitely yeah. a righteousness that I got from like saying that I ate really, you know, clean that's like right. the code term that right. everyone i mean clean which means i mean organic non-gmo i'm like just like yeah. i'm so much you know like and i don't eat that poison i don't eat that yeah. crap that the rest of you oh my god that food that you guys you are guys, eating yeah 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 you be like yeah all you like peasants you peasants yeah <laughs> you peasants like what you're eating and it's so ridiculous now and i'm making fun yeah. of it because it is ridiculous and but i mean that's, it's, it's the same thing that when you see like a supermodel eating carl's jr one of the, remember those ads with like yes you see the this. early 2000s ads yeah. where they're like riding an electric uh, electronic bull and like yeah. in a bikini like eating a like giant a triple cheese. burger yeah yeah and it's like well of course she can eat being like that like that's how because that you know they're the special kind of people who can eat like that you know it's like the, what a gaslight yeah what a gaslight because Isn't like that? i'm not saying that those girls couldn't i don't know but let's be real like a majority of people who are in entertainment yeah. are struggling to keep a body looking a certain way, whether it's weight, whether it's their face, whether it's like, I mean, there's yeah. so many things we don't know what people are doing. It's such a gaslight. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally.
So anyhow, and and the main thing, another big component about this is the shame that I have for being a guy. Like, yes. I didn't know any other men who had this problem. Yeah. You know, like I didn't, I, there was never, I mean, I, like I heard about Lady Di, you know, and it was bulimic and right. you know, so, so I, I knew a lot of women were bulimic, but like men, like, no. yeah, like, like, you know, like, I mean, for lack of a better word, it was, it was a woman's, it was a woman's disease. I think, yeah, I think eating disorders in general are assigned to women. And that's why I'm another, I'm another reason why I'm so glad you're willing to come on today. And I've met quite a few men in OA and that's always been like really interesting and shocking because of the idea that this only predominantly affects women. And it does affect probably more women than men, Yeah, but there are still a lot of men. And I do feel like for women... When someone finds out that a woman is bulimic or has an eating or they're like, oh my gosh, let's get you help. And I feel like the idea for men is just kind of like, that's weird. Like what's mm -hmm. like, like oh, yeah, okay, like, like, like get over it. Like what's wrong with you? Like, and yeah. I don't know if that's been your experience, but I feel like culturally that's how that would be. Well, it's just like, you know, like if I would, when I was younger, if I was around uh, like a, a bunch of guy friends and I ordered a Diet Coke, it'd be like diet. Oh yeah. Why, why do you, why are you getting a diet Coke? Like, or a light beer? You're going to drink a right. light beer. Yeah. You, you know, you like, like that was just like, that was the culture back. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, it's totally changed now. I mean, everyone's, you know, like totally much more accepting of, it's not like that rigid male, female role, but when I was growing up, it was, it was mm -hmm. hard. I mean, like you, it was hard to admit a lot of things and you really couldn't kind of express yourself. And so, so I carry that into my eating disorder. For sure. So it took me a lot. It took me a lot to get to the meet to meetings. I was really scared going to my first meeting, super scared because I didn't think that I, I would identify with anyone. And to be honest, I really don't see that many male bulimics. There aren't that mm -hmm. many still. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there are a lot of closet, there's some closeted people, you know, I'm sure. And I'm sure people like, uh, like I knew, I know back in the day, like, um, like horse, the jockeys, you know, the horse race, the, Yes. They were, you know, they had to make any, any sport where you have to make a weight. Yeah. The danger of being, of being bulimic and, you know, because you have to make, you got to weigh in, you know. That's that, a good point. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, because, you know, and like wrestling, you know, and, and like you hear some like these wrestling or these fighters who have to like, it's like, yeah. They dehydrate just so they can make weight, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. For but, sure. Um, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so how did I, so, you know, I relapsed a lot, a lot, and um, and it definitely affected my job. I mean, I, like, because I, I would stay up late, you know, mm -hmm. purging, and I would only get a couple hours of sleep, and then I have right. to work, right. I have a food hangover, and then I, right. I, I lack of sleep, and so I wasn't present. And so, luckily, it didn't affect me too, so much that I lost my job or anything. I was able mm -hmm. to keep it together, but I really had no life. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, if I if I went out socially for anything. Like uh, I could never stay out past nine. I would always leave early so I can go mm -hmm. back and eat. You know, I could never, I never wanted to stay out and hang out with my friends. Right. And do you, I'm wondering if you're similar in this way. Like I've realized in recovery that my um, eating disorder served as kind of like an insular, in, in, insular thing to kind of like insulate me from other people and things so that. It, whether it's like I have to be home by nine because I have to do this other stuff or whether it's like I don't want anybody to ever see me eat so you're not relating to people over food or like being fully engaged in those moments or if it's like denying food from people which is one of my earliest behaviors was like not 
not taking food from my mom. Like she was always like, eat breakfast. And I was like, no. And that was like one of my ways of like really asserting some kind of control as a kid. Um, And I'm just like wondering, like, because I know you and I have talked a little bit too about like with our families, how we definitely, you know, have, have had our ways of like kind of really, I don't know if you want to call it a boundary or a wall, (laughs) depending on how, how we're feeling or what it's looking. But I know that I've used that as an excuse to kind of separate myself, like especially the righteousness with the food and the stuff like that. And I'm just wondering if like you leaving at 9 p.m., like, do you feel like that was part of it? Do you relate to that or is that not? No, definitely relate to it because I just couldn't get weight. I I had an addiction to get home and eat. And that, I mean, I, I, I was, I, I wanted to get all my, my, my goodies and my food and I didn't want to eat with my friends because I didn't want this because I wanted to wait and save my appetite mm-hmm. so I could, so I could indulge. And so I, 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 I never wanted to, I never wanted to go away and sleep over or go on a vacation where I couldn't have access to food. Interesting. I yeah. I never wanted to stay out, you know, late because, or hang, or eat with friends, have a meal with people because mm-hmm. then I would, it would, because I, I had such a pattern and such a rigid schedule, you know, I would wake up, I would starve myself probably until noon, and then I have then I have a little something at noon, and then I'd be really ravenous by the time I got home, and I'd just buy all this food and I'd just go at it. Yeah, and I got addicted to that cycle because the rut. I mean, when you put your when you put that much food into your body, mm-hmm. it's like it's it's like shooting heroin. It's like yeah, you just get it's like a rush. Of like, yeah, yeah, it's for your brain and well, everything. I, I never. I've never shot heroin, but I mean, I've done drugs and it's like, it was like doing, doing, doing like Coke or something like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. You just get that dopamine, that hit yeah. hardcore, whatever the, the actual, like, you know, brain stuff that happens. Yeah. There is also like for prolonged not eating, there is also like a high that you can get from not eating. If you do it every once in a while, you're not going to get it. You're going to get like moody and tired yeah. and, and bitchy and like your stomach's going to growl and you're going to be like not be able to focus. But if you starve all the time, if that's like your MO, you can kind of like get a high off of that more than just like the righteousness, but also like a weird little buzzy anxiety high. And I don't yeah. really know how else to describe it, but um, there's that. There's also like, I relate to you saying like, you can't go on vacation. You can't sleep over. Like I did a ton of traveling throughout my career and I continued to. And because I was so, you know, because I wouldn't feed myself, I was never like planning my meal. So even though I was like, you know, telling people, oh, I eat clean and all this bullshit, like I was never planning my meals. So then I would be at like airports or like weird gas stations, you know, you're traveling, touring, whatever. You're in like the worst places to try to figure out food. And I would just be like, oh, there's nothing here I could eat. So it would like reinforce this weird thing. And then I would also get just like pissed. I would just be like angry, like, oh, all the food everywhere is terrible and like I can't eat any of it you know it's like this weird victim shit um that then I would like be mad and then feel sorry for myself um because like nothing was working out in my favor that was a very common one yeah but I I, I and I would have to travel a lot of times I, I, I did have to go to gigs or go out right I would figure out a way to get my food and throw it up I definitely yeah. I would totally figure it out I would, I would go or wait, or I'd go out walking, or if mm-hmm. I had a business meeting, you know, and I got my own hotel room, I, I did it there too. I never, yeah. I never, I mean, it was that, it was that ingrained in me. And for me, I, ha- I had to go to a rehab. Mm-hmm. I, I had to go to rehab. Um, and, and, 
it's a little bit different than 12 step. Um, it was this program out in Santa Monica and, and mm -hmm. they were really good. Like they, they, they taught me how to eat. One of the things, I mean, I don't recommend this for everybody, but this is mm -hmm. what they did with me. They made me go out to have fast food. And oh, wow. That would be a high anxiety situation, yeah. right? Right, right into recovery. Like if you're someone like me who believes that that food, which by the way, just people who listen, I will eat fast food now, not, not often, but I will eat it and I'll totally enjoy it and be fine with it. But it, that's like such a high anxiety yeah. for someone who believes that like they might be a allergic, be that it's like toxic, that it's super bad for them, that you're living yeah. your righteous and your identity based on how clean you eat. Right. That's like so hard. Yeah. And they would, and, and, I, and I would, I would like, what, they'd go, okay, you, you have to go to Carl's Jr. <gasps> and I'm like, no, no. You're like, no, that. not that. And then they would sit like, and watch you, right? They would make sure yeah. you didn't do anything. Yeah. And then on, like on Wednesday night, they would, they would, they would take us. It was me and a group of, of people. And we would, we would have to go out and they wouldn't tell us where we were going. And they would, oh, bring us my some God. Random, some random place, like, <gasps> like pizza. Oh my God. And that's all you get. You just have to, you have to eat. And pizza. you had to eat something there. Yeah. You had to eat pizza. And like, oh you know, and people were like, we're, we all were just like, oh, like losing your fucking minds. And this yeah. sounds so crazy to people. Like I'm, I'm dying laughing at us. Like not yeah. in a bad way. I don't, I'm not laughing at us, but no, like I, most all... people would be like, fuck. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah what, what terrible food are you going to have? Well, please make me eat it. You know, like yeah. make me eat some French fries. And like, I'm sure there was like, a double-edged sword like there is like the pleasure of that food that i don't yeah. think anyone can really deny unless you do have like some of the more i want to say niche just because they aren't talked about as much like the texture problems that some people have along with an eating disorder right. is like certain textures they absolutely cannot tolerate and that can contribute or be like a byproduct or in addition to an eating disorder so minus that like i'm sure you were like okay with like oh yeah i love this type of food but like terrified at like you couldn't do what you wanted to do yeah. and so like you would rather not do it i can't imagine the meltdowns that are happening because it's giving me anxiety right now even though i'm you know like i eat i will eat that food but like i can't imagine early on being right. like out of, so out of control about that like that is such an in vivo experience yeah where you're like here you are in it do it deal with it yeah yeah, eat it. Like this is this is this is your dinner, and you have to. And then they would we have to. I have to eat. I have to have dessert. You know, after after meals, and and you know, I because I hadn't been full. I had because I'd lost all sense of hunger. Yeah, and I didn't know when I was full or what. What you know, I I tricked I, I tricked my body. And yeah, it would be full and it'd be empty, full and empty, and so you know, I, I never, and so I had to relearn how to eat. And one of the things we did, we'd, we'd have to sit around at the table and we we would eat our food, we get it, and we all eat, and we all had to like be around and talk together. Oh my gosh. And we had to talk, like, talk and be social. Like, you know, we had to like, you know, interact. And we when we had to stay there for an hour. And so the, 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 the therapists who were helping us would say, okay, I'm gonna give you a, a half hour signal in 15 minutes and 45 minutes so you could pace your, so you wouldn't eat it all at once. Or right. You so you can try to slow down for those yeah. of you who are used to gulping down your food. Right. And then those of us who like who, who put it off, then we, we go, okay, that's time to eat a little bit more. Yes, right. So the people, the anorexics that are pushing yeah. it around on the plate, like yeah. I'm being yeah. very stereotypical, but like, you know, there's categories that a lot of yeah. people fall into. Yeah. But that but that really, I mean, I mean, I can't I don't think I could have done it without OA or I think that really helped me out in terms of just the practical, because you know, OA right. 
doesn't really get specific about measuring and you know like no i mean different sponsors might have that but it's more you know it's a spiritual program more than it is telling you what to do but i think that for me i was so far off that i really needed to go and it wasn't it was just an outpatient rehab like i went to right. work it wasn't like i went away to you know iowa for a month right like right that. Oh, Iowa, that would be terrible. That would be like, <laughs> sorry, Iowa, anyone. <laughs> I'm from the Midwest, I can say that. But, um, uh, you know, and it's this is the interesting thing about food addiction. I'm just going to say that as a blanket statement or body, body food addiction, exercise addiction, all the things that have to do with the body. It's, you know, if you're going to stop drinking, you just stop drinking, right? Like even if you're going to meetings, you want to stop drinking, you're going to meetings, but that's really the deal, right? That's the sobriety. You're either drinking or you're not easy, black and white, right? Not easy to do, but easy to understand. And same thing with like, you know, drug addiction, you're either doing drugs or you're not. And you know, like some of those things might entail like going to a a center and being weaned off to make sure that you're not going to have any kind of, you know, disaster side effects, but that's the sobriety. When it comes to things like food or like intimacy addiction, sex addiction, like these are really muddy topics because these are things that are in your life. You're not going to be able, I mean, maybe some people could go with abstinence, but you know, in, in their sexual life and relationships, but I don't think that's realistic for a majority of people. So it's like, how do you navigate that from going to, from super dysfunctional to functional? It's not like you can just not eat and that will make you better. It's not like you just not do that. You still have to eat and there's still a lot of really complicated feelings and behavior um, attached to that. So I'm glad you brought up like going to a rehab facility because that gave you some skills and how to do that. I highly suggest anyone getting a nutritionalist, you know, working with someone, you know, post. Yeah, go ahead. By the way, and my insurance paid for it. So amazing. Yeah. So like I I had, um, I I didn't, I I mean, I'm with Kaiser now, but I had Blue Cross, but insurance will pay for this. Yes. You know, and and if you're if you're at a job, like where if you're worried about it for being like corporate and people are gonna right. find you, they can't. There's they HIPAA can't, laws. yeah, HIPAA laws. So so you can go you can have your company or your your whatever health insurance pay for this pay for that treatment mm-hmm. and your coworkers won't know. Yes. That's you know, a really you, good point. Yeah, and so because that a lot of people I mean, I didn't want people to know. I mean, I still don't want uh, you know, like my clients um, now I don't care quite as much, but when I was first coming out, you know, it was, I had a lot of shame. I did. And I didn't want people to go like, like I thought I might hurt my career or something. Right. Like that. Same. I'm, not, I'm a financial advisor. I'm not going to, you know, he's bulimic. Oh my God. He can't handle my money because he's, a you know, I'm like, a- I want someone highly anxious high, handling yeah. my money. Actually, yeah. that's exactly who I want. I yeah. want someone who's like, you know, who, because most people who deal with eating disorders are like, you know, like are suffering from anxiety are suffering from a lot of big feelings are usually highly yeah. sensitive people. You know, I'm like, that's exactly who I want looking at my money. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Someone who's going to call me and be like, don't take your money out. Just chill out. Or this is, yeah. it, you know, like I need that. I need that for me. Um, but yeah. okay. I'm really glad you said all of that. Is there anything that you recall like early in your life? I mean, you had said that you saw you went you watched your mom not be like, you know, like an almond mom, like not eating a ton. I also watched my father not really eat, eat one big meal at night and like drink yeah. sodas all day, which probably contributed to him having some blood sugar problems later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but so is there other things that you recall or was this just kind of like more of a behavioral thing that came up later? No, no, it was early on. So uh, 
for my family it was we were very image conscious you know so like it was important to look good and so same was my same so, yep. you mean, not just not, not just thin but like you know like dress well look you know look hot just just mm-hmm. look i mean that was more important than how you felt to me that's the message i got you know yeah but um so i uh so i you know i took that i was very image con- very you know body conscious of my body and and I, my dad sometimes would 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 he would say he would comment on my body. He goes, "Oh, you know, you're, you're putting on some pounds, you know, pounds there, Kev, you know, or stuff like that, or you know, or you're too skinny." Like I never mm-hmm. was right, you know, I, so I could never really fit, you know, what I the right image, and and also I, it was my some of my own fault. I just didn't trust my mom. Like my mom would say, "I look good," mm-hmm. and what I heard was, "You're fat." Like I thought she want like looking good to her was me looking bad. Like I thought mm-hmm. she wanted me to kind of be this like Pillsbury Doughboy. Right. That would be the ideal, like this cute little cherub right. guy, you know. And so I didn't trust. I didn't trust her. Right. And that part of that's on that's on me, you know. I mean, it's not that's not my, my mom's fault. I you know I had, you know, I had like that rebellious tendency, and I was like, I kind of just didn't listen to her. I didn't right. trust. I didn't trust her. If she if, if she said I look good, I I assumed that I didn't look good. Mm. that I look kind of like a like a like a you know a homebody or something like that I okay yeah cool. like well there's was- a lot of families that are like if you're not e- actively eating whatever they're making it's yeah. like almost offensive or also like you're always too skinny you know like like especially you come from some of the midwest or east coast yeah. like there is this like food is love this is how I show love don't reject me and also like you're always going to be too thin yeah to, to them culturally a lot of times um to a lot of people I know have, have witnessed yeah. that. that. So that, there was that. And then also, you know, I, I used to be, I wanted to be a rock star as a kid, you know, and Harem and Cheek was like the happening thing in the seventies. I mean, look at, look at Mick Jagger and look at all those guys. So I always like, to me, that was the, that was the aesthetic to look like, you know, Iggy Pop or, yep. or Mick or Mick or, um, Whoever, uh, so who are, who are some of those other guys? I mean, Hendrick, all of the um, hair band guy, all those guys in the seventies, Aerosmith, uh, you yeah. know, Mick Jagger, you know what that look is? They're like very wafy, long hair. Yeah. They move kind of wafy. It's almost like a slightly androgynous type of look yeah. because yeah. they are so thin. Well, it's a Bowie, very yeah. iconic image. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Bowie too, definitely. Bowie. Yes. And I, when I read his biography, when Bowie was that thin. The guy was, was doing like coke and he was like having ar- one thing of orange juice per day i mean like you know like that that was unattainable without yeah like, and he'll even he even admits it i mean like that or we did it when he was alive but mm-hmm. but uh yeah so i was very influenced by those those 70s rockers you know yeah and the in that really skinny kind of like you like you said androgynous thing so so that you know combined with that i became very very self-aware of what my body looked like mm-hmm. And um, and really wanted to control it and control the way that my body was shown to the people in the world too. Now, when your dad would say like, "Oh, you've been putting on some weight," was that like, uh, despite how you took it, like, because there's also like, men are encouraged to not be skinny a lot of times. Like they're like, it's like this idea that like, don't be skinny. You're gonna be. I don't know if it's like you're gonna be weak. You're like a woman, which is like the worst thing. Apparently, apparently culturally, the worst thing you could tell a guy is that he's like a woman because we're just so terrible, I guess. Um, (laughs) You know, like it's all that like think about a pussy, like, you know, like you look like a girl or you're weak or like all of it is, you know, like very much, you know, because apparently 
you can't be there's nothing worse you could call a guy than being related in relation to being like a woman but you know did you ever have any kind of like a, a duality of feeling like oh my gosh like because you said oh i'm too skinny or or that or you know like or were you very much like i know exactly what i want to look like i want to look like these 70s you know drug addict uh yeah. rock stars or or were you like yeah no i should i should actually like be be you know put on weight and be you know whatever this quote unquote manly is did you fluctuate between those two or were you like very clear about how you wanted to look i was i mean my, my dad would, would tease me i mean the way he I mean, he was more like like teasing he was like hey you know you're putting on putting on a few pounds you're gaining a few lbs right you know like it wasn't like a real stern like sit me down and, and but uh, but there was a time though when i got skinny he said like you're gonna you're gonna your body's gonna eat itself you're gonna die you know and mm. like, like that but it could be he could be really kind of like heavy-handed right. but in terms of your question about i think i always wanted to to be to be to be thin i i don't think i, I did play i played football for a while but i couldn't play anything besides the wide receiver because i was too thin i couldn't bulk mm -hmm. up and you were but, fine with that you were like whatever yeah. You're like, yeah, I like because, it the, because the guys, the people that I hung out with were not gym rats. Okay. So my, my peer group were like, want to be hipsters. You know, we wanted, okay. we wanted to be like punk rock and we wanted. Right. Okay. So like that was mod. that whole. So aesthetic. yeah, we were way more into like, you know, the, the skinny kind of like, you know, artists, you know, po you know, Kerouac. Right. And all that okay. Stuff. You know, so, so yeah. So the aesthetic for us, the cool way to be was not, and, and most of the, the women that I've dated have never wanted, they never have told me, oh man, like you're too, like you need to, you need to go and, you know, get right. some or something like that. I, I don't know. I think there are a lot of women who really aren't into that whole, you know, like huge, you know, huge bulky like, thing. Yeah. 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 I, not I, I, thing, I, huge bulky my, uh, aesthetic. Yeah. It's just my experience, my experience. Maybe I should attract those kind of, those kind of people, you know, but uh, yeah. yeah. So I, so no, I never really wanted to beef it up or like, you know, or, be Mr. Universe or anything like that. Because there's a newer term that I just learned. There's a documentary on it. It's called Bigorexia. I mentioned it in another episode. And it's um it's about uh people who basically have the opposite of like what I would say you and I have. Whereas like you and I might be dysmorphic in our mind and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that we kind of always want to be very thin and we always are kind of afraid of not being thin or we might even see things that aren't there. Whereas these people are afraid of being thin and want to bulk up. It's a lot of people who do a lot of weightlifting and right. a lot of the bodybuilding stuff. And it's called bigorexia where they're like obsessed with and can't see that they are already gigantic. They right. just see themselves as small and weak. Whereas like every day of the week I could point out where I've gained weight and it's not true. It's right. not based in reality. It's totally dysmorphic and based on how I feel, not what is actually happening in reality. Right. Um, but I just thought it was so interesting because it's so the polar, it's like just the flip side of the coin. I mean, um, it's, it's the same obsession. It's just oh, the, yes. other, the other way. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. If, if I grew up in a different environment, maybe where if all rock stars were 300 pounds, right. You'd be you know, like, that's what if, I need. But if the stones all look like the rock, you know, like yeah. Stones, yeah. You know, like, then I would be like, Oh, I, I, you're you just know, like I, shooting I, steroids yeah. into directly into the muscle. And yeah, just... like I'll be always bodybuilders are playing jumping Jack flash, you know, <laughs> and I was like, Oh man, I got to up. I'm picturing alternate universe Kevin right now and I'm dying. <laughs> I'm yeah. dying laughing. I, I am also, when you were talking about, this is not funny, but it's funny. Like when you talked about 
being in the recovery center and you guys having to do this field trip, for lack of a better word, to the fast food place, all I can think about is like, how many of there were you? Um, well, it, there are about, it, they came in and it came out, but it was probably about 15. Okay, so there's 15 people. Is that including the therapists or just the- Yeah, yeah we all okay. had- Okay, yeah. so there's 15 people. Yeah. It's like a big ass group that shows up to this fast food place. And I just can't stop thinking about that kid that's behind the register having to ring up y'all's orders because yeah. I know me up at that register, like just looking and being like, I I, I can't, there's nothing here. I can't, like, I can't, like just having a fucking mental breakdown. They, yeah, they, they didn't get, they couldn't understand it. They They're were, like, what the like, fuck? And if they see you guys coming again or like yeah. a different group, uh, it's like, oh my God. They're, they're like, they, oh shit, I am not getting paid enough to deal yeah. with this right now. <laughs> These, these neurotic, like, <laughs> eat your pizza. I mean, come just on. fucking eat it. What's your problem? Yeah. It, outwardly, for people who don't struggle with this, it's very confusing for people. Yeah. I no, remember. Not, yeah. Yeah. But we would have, like, some people have meltdowns. I did too. I would sometimes, like, stare at, stare at like, that thing and just go, oh, I can't, I can't do it. And yeah. then, you know, like, no one forced that. Like, if you yeah. know, really couldn't do it, you couldn't do it. But, yeah. Yeah. But, you tried you tried like, right like, the whole point is you're there to get better yeah, so you try yeah. the exercise yeah. yeah and the idea and it's like the idea is i think what they're thinking is is like say you're you know on the road somewhere and you're in the middle of nowhere and you're hungry you know like i, I, got, I was doing this gig the other night it was at a bowling alley and mm -hmm. i was i was hungry and I, and I had to go on stage and the only food there was like the bar you know bar food like hot you know, dogs like yeah, popcorn sliders, nachos sliders, sliders. Uh, yeah, yes like you know um rid, like uh wings buffalo wings whatever lots of things are. in baskets yeah yeah and fried and i was like screw it you know like I, I need the energy i'm just gonna eat it and it, 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 it did it was well, honest it wasn't that bad it was fine and i felt so much better i played so much better it's like good for you before i would have i would have uh, you know i would have yeah. starved myself and, yeah uh, so I think that's the kind of thing they were trying to get us to get comfortable with. Like, right. if, if we're really hungry and there aren't options, go ahead and have the Big Mac. Just right. It's all yeah. it's, you'll, be, you'll be. You'll be. You won't die. You'll be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of that was one of the things that I would say is my like things that I do in sobriety. Like I do have some of these like rules for myself, for lack of a better word, with which, by the way, for people who already struggle with this stuff. It's not uncommon for you to get a bunch of new rules because then you feel like you're controlling with the new rules. Yeah. But I did have a couple things for myself where I was like, okay, no red, red light foods, which means everything's okay to eat, which before everything was like red light, right? Everything right. was like, I can't have it. Um, so there's no red light foods. And wherever I was at, I had to eat at that place. So if I went to a restaurant with someone, I couldn't say I'm going to eat later or I already ate or uh, you know, I'll eat somewhere, somewhere else. Like that was not an option. I had to eat something where I was at, which is much like what you're describing. That's what I made myself do. And sometimes I would sit and I would stare at that goddamn menu for way fucking too long. I'd be looking at every ingredient and I'd be like, oh, that has one ingredient I don't want. Like, or I want one ingredient I can't have. So I can't have, and I'd go to the next thing. And then sometimes I would just stare there. And then I would start to get like really, um, uh, uncomfortable or like, ashamed that yeah. I couldn't figure something out. And then yeah. I would really start to like lose it. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so pathetic. Like I can't find one thing on the stupid menu. Like everybody else just can pick something yeah. from the menu. Like what's, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, so I remember that being a thing. I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that that is something they made you do. Cause I didn't go to a recovery center and that's something they made you do. So I kind of made myself do that. I'm my own mean therapist apparently. So yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I was, I took it even a step farther. I was so neurotic because I had to do a lot of business lunches, you know, so, oh like my gosh. Time, you know, so, so they were go, okay, let's, we're going to go out to X restaurant. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't go there. I can't, I don't even, I don't know how to eat. So I would Google the menu, you know, like an hour before right. and just figure out exactly what I was going to get. Right. So like, and, and, and I'm, I'm not even thinking about the, the job or what I'm going to like, what, what, you know, like I'm not like the pitch or whatever I'm going to do. I'm thinking about all how about it yep. through this meal. And so I would go and I research the menu and I, okay, well, so when the menu comes around, I'm going to go, I'm going to get this, this, and this, and this. And then if I'm, I'm just going to kind of play around with it and eat a little bit of it. And then, mm -hmm. uh, because I know, I, I, I've never been full for a long time. Like mm -hmm. my, I, I was always, my stomach was either really full mm -hmm. for about 30 seconds, 30 minutes and then right. full and empty. So I never, I never like walked around the world with like, you know, kind of some sort of normal yeah. satiety. Is that yeah, no, totally. You had no idea what it was like to be yeah. satiated. You were either starving or over brimming, like too full. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so when I, and then, you know, I, and then I couldn't, you know, and I couldn't eat, I couldn't eat or I tried to, I just did the best I could, but it was a, a very, very nervous. And I'm sure, it, I'm sure it affected, affected my business at some level. I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. people could sense that I wasn't very present at that mm -hmm. point. You know, I wasn't listening. I was because I was preoccupied with eating and, mm -hmm. and how I looked eating and that, and that kind of thing. So uh, I hated eating in front of people. I've gotten way yeah. better, but I fucking hated that. Yeah. 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 No, I'm me too. But now, um, I guess just, just to kind of bring it forward. So, uh, just it's, it's the, the whole, that whole issue, that whole problem in my life, mm -hmm. it's, it's gone. It's completely gone. It's been, I love that. It's totally, I, I don't, like, I, I just go in the fridge, whatever's in there, I make it. Yeah. Really, it really is gone. I, and it, 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 I never thought it could be. I always thought, yeah. it, and like, I was on a path to some real bad stuff because um, I was, um, I was super low in potassium. Like, so there were some real. Oh, health. wow. You were having some health problems. Oh, big time. My, my Would doctor, you say like, this is like a, like kind of your rock bottom? Were you yeah, having well, like, yeah. My, my doctors would say like, Kevin, your, your potassium is super low. What's going on? You're like, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess what I could it be? A, yeah. I just have fast metabolism. What, what could it be? Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, we're, you know, you're, it's, 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 it's like really low what's going on. And people were like, you know, and I was kind of people and my doctors would say this and I would go to the doctor and, uh, you know, and, and I, he said, because if your potassium gets too low, you could have a heart attack. I mean, yes. it's a, it's a yes. really, I was informed it was a real big deal. Yes. And they told me that, um, uh, that I had to eat. They, they, they told me I had to eat red meat and I had to eat all this stuff. They, they, you know, that's what they, the doctor said. And so, uh, and they were, they were concerned. They, I, mean, I think they, probably, they all probably knew I had an eating disorder and, and then, uh, and I was on the levels. So, and now my, my, potassium is fine but uh mm -hmm. but i think that's potassium is because that happens when you purge a lot like when you purge like you're you lose that. yeah you lose, and it's yeah important. and they made they gave me a potassium pills but i mean what's it what's gonna do if i might if I'm yeah if you're just doing what you're doing yeah i just i just took them in just because i wanted to pretend like i was working on a solution right but i wasn't you know you're like oh no no, no yeah, okay i'll take those potassium oh pills. yeah so, sure i'll sure. do that Sure. Oh, yeah. I'm eating three meals. I mean, listen, if any anybody you ask anybody about any problem they have, if you offer them a pill, yeah. I'll give you this pill and you can fix it. We will all take it. Yeah. 
I, fight me. Fight me. Anybody. I will, yeah. I will put money on it. If yeah. you, any problem you have, if you could just take a pill to fix it, everybody would yeah. say yes. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. say no, you are lying. You're a yeah. lying liar. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that, so that happened, but, um, but I did, I did relapse a lot and to me, it was, it, it caused problems with my relationship. Uh, mm -hmm. um, it definitely, uh, but the, re, because with uh, my experience with, uh, eating disorder is that it's re it, there, there's a lot of relapse. It's really hard, to, mm -hmm. it's hard to get over it. And like the main thing I would take away from, or I would say to anybody who's listening is that not to shame yourself if you relapse just yeah. get up on the horse like don't like yeah relapse is kind of part of it it took me a long time yeah you know and i just have to keep going back and like i you know i do it and, I, and if every time if i beat myself up when i when i threw up mm -hmm. um you know i could it, it would just make me feel worse i mean i, I could have been like i felt suicidal i felt, mm -hmm. I felt so bad about myself so you know gross and and disgusting because it's a disgusting disease you know to really think about it i mean it's, yeah it's it's, it's yeah and then to know that's a part of you and that's what you do that's your main you know so anyhow so i relapsed relapsed but then through through oa and through that that rehab but mainly mm -hmm. the rehab wasn't i was there for maybe four months or something like mm -hmm. that right? but i still am active in oa because you know the fellowship and yeah and, and I like, you know, it's more, it's, it's the camaraderie is, it's a lot about camaraderie and sort of being, having people understand what you've been through and yep. get it. People who get how, you know, how weird, you know, food is. I think more and more people are understanding about food and being opening up about it uh, yeah. more. I mean, I mean, I think the male community is, I think. For sure. Yeah. 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 I think, um, I think the I've heard before in the rooms that and just in the recovery community in general that the opposite of addiction is connection. And I think okay. like when we're dealing with stuff like this, like and I love that you relate it or call it an addiction because I do feel like that behavior or those habits are that they are benefiting you and you are getting things out of it like you do an addiction. If you can't stop something, that is an addiction. And um, the opposite of addiction is connection. And that is definitely what the fellowships have been for me and it sounds like the same for you it's like a nice upkeep you know like thing to like just help you stay on the path of whatever your your chosen journey is um how did you learn about oa uh well i was in al-anon okay so that, that was my first program was al-anon and so once i was in al-anon then i started meeting people uh, who were in other programs you know? yeah and then i heard about OA. But I didn't, when my first uh, idea or first, like uh, the way I perceived OA was over ears. People right. who had, they were heavy, right? They're right. We didn't lose weight. That there wasn't, like it didn't address, the title doesn't address someone who was bulimic. Right, right. You know, so I was like, I'm not, I don't have that problem. I'm not, right. I'm not overweight. Right, I don't qualify. Yeah. And so finally I had like through enough people talking to enough people i was able to um to go and i went to i, I think i can't remember the trajectory i think i went to a therapist first mm -hmm. who specialized in eating disorders because i knew i had one but um, mm -hmm. i just didn't i was so embarrassed about it that i didn't want anyone to know so i just kind of did it really on the down low you know yes i think the embarrassment and the shame about you know people who struggle with 
eating disorders in specific, and I would even say like maybe other addictions as well, like um, whether it be alcohol or drugs, whatever, you know, like we are so hard on ourselves and we lack so much compassion yeah. for ourselves, like that when you're trying to get sober or abstinent or whatever, like you were talking about, like the relapsing and how, you know, the best thing you can do is give yourself some grace. But the hardest thing to do in that moment is to give yourself some grace because that's the nature of it. You know, like people who aren't, you know, talking shit to themselves 24 seven are not dealing with these types of issues. You know, like there's definitely that all that we all, I feel like have in common. Um, thank you for talking about therapy. I, I'm always a big proponent of people going to therapists. Um, uh, you know, if you can get a therapist that specializes in eating disorders, even better. But if you can't just get a therapist, if they're yeah. not right for you, get a different one. I love that you brought up, you know, an actual recovery place, because I think that's also really important. And thank you so much for talking about the fact that if you have health insurance, check with them because they may cover part or all of it. Yeah. And and no one has to find out because the laws are there to protect you. Yeah. Um, so today you talk about like through all of these things, right? All of these, uh, this whole journey you've been on that today you can, you can, you're not imprisoned by the food or the body stuff. Like you're able to just live your life. Yeah, no, I can live my life. I mean, it's not, you know, life is life, right? It's, it's not, um, it's not rosy every day. You know, I still have struggles, but what I don't have is that, that monkey on my back of like, right. like thinking about food all the time and going and buying food. I'm not in a prison, but like my life is way more varied. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's, I, I have, I have problems and I have issues, but, but, I, but like, I'm, I, I get to be present and I get right. to feel them in, in the current time, you know, in real time, you know, and I'm not uh, thinking about other stuff. So, uh, yeah, so that's, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have the I don't have the obsession anymore. It's, right. The obsession has been lifted. The food obsession, and and just so my so it, in 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 OA, you know, we we define our own abstinence. Like not everyone. It's, that's what's weird about like you know the difference between AA is like AA is just like you don't drink and right. that's abstinence. That's it. Way, like yeah, different people have different things. Like for I I am a restrictor. I got off on telling you what I wouldn't eat. I'd love mm -hmm. to tell you like all my ailments and all my stuff and all restricting. And I really, so, so for me, my app, I, everything's on the table. Like I can, I can eat what I can eat whatever I want, because if you tell me I can't eat something, I I'm going to plow through it like crazy because I just mm -hmm. have that rebellious nature. Mm -hmm. These days, you like, I, I, I can't eat flour. I'm going to go fuck you. I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, I'll eat all flour I want, you know, don't mm -hmm. tell me what to do. And I don't, I don't know where I got that from, but, so it, for me, what works is to go, oh, yeah, I could have that if I want. But mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that I really don't crave it. Like, I really don't eat sugar. I hardly ever eat it. Yeah. But I could. Right. If I want to. If someone baked me a cake. And most of the time when I eat sugar now, it's because I keep, like, just because someone made it, took right. four or five hours to make something. Right. I'm like, ah, just, I'll just take a bite of it. Like, you know, right it'll serve them it'll bring them so much happiness yeah. it's really, and, and it's something i can do now so yeah yeah i could take a bite or two you know i usually yeah. it, but i'll just go yeah you, you slave in the kitchen for like yeah hours all right all right i'll do you i'll do you a favor <laughs> i used to love to tell people all of these weird ass food facts that i don't even know if they're true or not uh, yeah <laughs> like i probably read it somewhere and then it swarmed around in my head and like sometimes i have 
uh, I don't know if it's talent or not to recall certain facts like, of, you know, like, I don't know, like someone a little, I don't even know what the word would be. It's sometimes just weird, but you know, I would tell people these weird facts about like, oh, you know, if you eat that or like this causes this and like, oh, you know, they did a study on, you know, whatever. Like, I don't even know what they are anymore because I've let them leave my brain because I'm like, number one, you don't need to be telling anyone about anything about their food. Number two, like, you don't even know if this is true. You don't know where it came from. Like, there was also a really huge concerted effort with the like, well, and here, here it is. Here it's coming out right here. I, I thought I had lost it. Here, th- this is on the opposite side of it, though. There was a concerted effort at one point in time to basically push organic produce. And so there was like a lot of this talk about the dirty dozen, you know, the dozen fruits and ver- vegetables that are the most affected by pesticides and that you absolutely oh, should yeah. not eat like that kind of stuff. Right. But there was actually like that's not entirely true. So there's information on both sides of that. And now I, I lean on the other side of like, you know, better to eat than not for myself for my own health but i loved giving out all those weird little like, like facts like nightshades or like cause weird like whatever you know. oh yeah like oh if you eat wheat you know you're gonna yeah. cause inflammation throughout your whole system yeah. and that's where every autoimmune you yeah. know comes from like what like what are you even talking like i didn't even go to college like who am i even to be talking about that to begin with yeah you know like what what paper did i read what article do i think i you know who even published it you know so there's that that i you know like i really uh recognize as well in in myself and it reminds me of some of the things you've said um so you, you talked about presence, like having presence now that you've gained in recovery. Is there anything else that you would say in recovery that you've gained? Um, I think it's the, the ability just to kind of hang out and to be around people and not and right. not have that pressure to go off and do something. Like I, 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 I notice that when I go out for social occasions or if I go out and do, I'm not worried about when it's going to end. I don't have any, it's like, I, I'll, I'll leave when I want to leave. I think that I used to be so uptight about uh, food and this, the schedule that, that eating that I had to do that I couldn't, I, I couldn't really hang out. I had to go do something else. I, you know, I couldn't stay in one place for a long time. And now, uh, especially when, when I work in some of these, uh, these gigs that I have, I have to show up early for a sound check. And it's like, I have to hang out for a couple of hours with nothing to do. And I'm a, lot, I'm a lot more tolerant because I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat or what right. I'm going to do. And I can just stay, I can just be present. I'm, and I'm, I guess I'm a little bit less ambitious, I think, than I used to be. I used to be really like, like I, I got to achieve, I got to do something, I got to put my stamp on the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't really care about that. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I got, yeah. Like I think the pandemic helped out with that because I got a lot of time to realize, like, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm doing okay. I don't need to, to, uh, win the Nobel Peace Prize or anything like that. I, you know, I, I, like, like, I'm okay if I just keep kind of doing what I'm doing. You know? Yeah. It, the pandemic was a great equalizer of everyone doing nothing yeah. for the most part. I mean, there were people who had to do, you know, like obviously people who kept everything running, those types of very, very important jobs. But the rest of us in entertainment and even just in 
a lot of our, it was like the great equalizer. Like nobody yeah. could one up anybody unless you actually still had to work instead of got the stimmies. No one could go on and be like, oh, I'm going this and I'm doing that. And yeah. I was like, you're not doing shit. No one's doing yeah. anything. Check <laughs> like, me out. You know, I, yeah, I, no, I, no, everyone's platinum. You know? No, everyone's <laughs> dreams and aspirations were dead and we all just accepted it. And for those of us, you know, who are constantly in comparison, compare and despair got a vacation yeah, it was a I, highly anxious vacation but it was a vacation it was it was totally well i mean for me personally i used to go into the office i mean you know you, I, I used to work out in high all the time like, i met you and i had never seen you out of a three-piece suit <laughs> i know i know and you look good in a suit my friend i no, have got you. to say you, you are very nice tailored suits you look good in a suit yeah. You, and you, you, you like, there's people who like look good in suits. You know, first of all, you put on a suit, you're like, oh, people look nice. Then there's people who look good in suits. You know, they look good. Yeah. I shouldn't be commenting on your looks, period. But I, I, what I do no, to, no, bring to bring it, it up. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But I do actually, because you pick your, your style sense with yeah. your suit was really good. Like, yeah. it's not just like, oh, I look in a suit and I wear suits. It's like you picked really nice suits. You wore them well, you know, like I will well, say that. I'll, if I can digress, I'll tell you the, the one secret. Yes. It's not, it's not how the quality of the suit necessarily. It's how well it's tailored. What so, a good, what a good thing to know. Yes. So, so you could buy, like I would go and, and get relatively cheap suits, maybe four or 500, but I would make sure that I got them tailored. Um, and this is kind of triggering. This is kind of, because it has to do with body too, but I mean, I'm right. just saying, like I would just get them to be, to be tailored well. And so that it made, they made them look like more expensive, you know, mm -hmm. because they were, they just fit well. That's all. You know? mm -hmm. But so, so I wore the suits, but then after the pandemic, I, I had to stay at home and I, I got, I didn't put on the suits as much, you know, right. myself. And uh, then the, I didn't have to, to go into the office and then I could work from, I set up my office from home and, and now I, I don't, I have a home office. And so I have an office that I could go to. Right. But, um, but I, but I, and also I'm an independent contractor, so I had to pay for my own office. The company did. So right. I, I saved some money. So yeah. So it changed a lot. I still like to put on suits. I still like to do it, but yeah. I, don't do it, I don't do it all the time. Anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's not part of the uniform. When I get things tailored, well, not anymore, but pre-recovery, I would get things tailored within an inch of my life so that I could keep them as my own personal prison <laughs> Yeah. for not but fitting into them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It is a dangerous thing. I mean, for it, for it, for it. Well, there's well tailored, and then there's like what I do, which is like under tailoring. It's you, like you make it, you make it really, really. So you can, yeah. So you got to make sure you can fit it in all the time. And there was yeah. a part of me, like there was a trend for suits with with men where they were super, super thin. Yeah, like just so, like yeah, like the skinny suits or whatever yeah. they were call them. They would call yeah. them like just like you see get guys with suits that were just like. Like yeah, popping out of them, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not my my fave. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Right. You mentioned a little bit earlier. You talked about um, like sugar, like you don't even crave it because you're allowed to have it. I do really think that when we stop fetish fetishizing certain things, over time we take away the um, obsession with them. Right. So, like, I do find in myself that if I tell myself you know, I can't have any pastries or bread. Well, now all I'm going to do is be obsessed with all those things that I can't have. And now everywhere I go is everything I can't have. And now all I'm going to think about is all the things that I want. And when I've been able to be like, you can have whatever you want, like you really can. 
Like yeah. it'd be nice if you could get some vitamins in what you eat and like make some good choices for things that are going to fuel you and bring you energy. But everything is, all, you know, you can have anything. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I don't want that. I want, you know, yeah. I can. Yeah. Yeah. I want, a, I want a food that makes me feel good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you can have it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and that's not to say someone who's on a, on a strict food plan, you know, there's people in the program who haven't had sugar for 30 years. Right. You know, if that works for them, that's fine. You know, maybe that's what they need. Right. To keep to keep their, their that, that's, that's just not, that's just not, I know my, I know myself. I know my yes. body. Same. Yeah. I yeah. don't struggle with, um, I don't struggle with that um, addiction to sugar. I have noticed yeah. because I am sober from alcohol and whereas I wouldn't say that I, was as sick in alcoholism as you know some people might be like it still affected me in a way where once i started drinking i didn't really want to stop but like day to day so my yeah. drinking was not in like quantity it was in like consistency right, right and um and i did notice when i stopped drinking i craved a lot more sugar uh, okay like a lot more sugar like every day i wanted sugar and that is not uncommon not only because there's a lot of sugar i hear in alcohol, yeah. but also because uh, of what your brain is doing. Like your brain wants that hit. Yeah. It wants that spike in whatever. So um, I say that just to say that in case anybody's relating to that. Um, there's another thing I want to talk to you. It's not really eating uh, related or food related, but I just want everybody to know, especially a lot of dancers who might be listening, that you're my financial advisor and you are a fiduciary financial advisor. So yeah. I want people to know that, first of all, um, a lot of financial advisors, or at least you, oftentimes, and you used to do this, I don't know if you still do this, you used to offer a free, like, kind of complimentary meet to discuss finances yeah. as a new client, right? Right, yeah, yeah, definitely. To see if it's, you, if it's a good fit, yeah. Right, and you kind of help people go through, and you might even give them some advice or not, and yeah. then they can decide if they want to come back and, like, utilize your services. Right, exactly. So there is that. And so I want people to know that because I think people a lot of times think, oh, I can't afford a financial advisor. Right. You know, and it's like, well, it may, it's actually you probably can afford a financial advisor and you you may want to consider one, especially if you're looking to invest or even just get some information on how to properly manage your money a little bit. And um, so you are a fiduciary. Will you tell people in your words, what is the difference between a fiduciary and a non-fiduciary financial advisor? Yeah, well, uh, uh, a, 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 there used to be two standards: the, the the brokerage, like a stock broker kind of standard, that if something is suitable for, like, so so if I would have a, it like if if a financial product that I'm selling is is suitable for a client, so yeah, it, like this this would work for you. It's a pretty good it's a pretty good financial instrument. That would be the broker standards. But a fiduciary is you have to do what's in the client's best interest and put your interest below the client's. So I might like say I, I sold you a mutual fund and, and it, it might be a pretty good mutual fund, but I'm going to get paid, say, you know, 5% on that mutual fund. But there's a better one that I could, that would suit you better, like more it, for your needs. Maybe I get paid 4% on that one. It's my duty not to take but, you know, not to give you something that's not quite right for you for mm -hmm. to pay more than to give you something that's that could really good fit and I get paid a little bit less. So it's so, just it's just putting it's putting the client in like the client interest first, not, you know, just like best fit for the client. That's excellent. Everybody needs to pay attention to that, because 
just because someone's your financial advisor doesn't mean they have to advise you financially to your best interest. Right. That's so right. that's 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 the that's the catch. That's the loophole because some people who work for financial advising, if they are a non-fiduciary, that means they they're gonna yeah, I'll invest your money, but it's gonna be for their best interest most likely. I mean, maybe it could be dual, but they're they're gonna look out for themselves and their business. Whereas if you're a fiduciary, you are held by law and ethics. To do what's in my best interest. So if you're going to get a financial advisor, get one who's a fiduciary. They have to tell you if they are or not. You can ask them. Sometimes it shows on there. You know, you look them up. So just make sure. Yeah. On FINRA, you can look at BrokerCheck is what it's called. That's the website, BrokerCheck.com. BrokerCheck. We'll put it in the show notes. You can see uh, any any complaints that a financial advisor has had. You can see the whole history, you know, because after, after 2008, after Madoff, the industry really got that got a little bit more um uh regulated yeah exactly regulated is the word i'm looking for because um because people because you know after the housing crisis and all the aig stuff they got a little slap on their wrists yeah yeah oh you guys yeah yeah you guys with your stealing again yeah yeah oh you wall street bros yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh what you know uh but so, so yeah, there's a lot of things that protect the client, but fiduciary is definitely something you know, that you want to do. I mean, that's just the way I would operate anyhow, but yeah. some people need that kind of regulation, you know, because it's, it, a lot of times it's, it's, it, it really tests, like it, you can get greedy, you know, like if I, if I, if I could sell you something and it's pretty good for you, but I'm going to make more money than, but sell, than selling you the, the thing that's right. It's sometimes hard for people to, to just go, ah, I'll just take the yeah 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 it's hard for people to you know to when when a lot of money comes around it's uh it's hard to make that you know you've got to really kind of stay keep your scruples together right right that's a good point um and i agree with that because you will ask me sometimes you'll be like how do you feel about this product yeah how do you feel about this product and he's asking me morally do I, you know, if I am, do I have a moral obligation or a moral, you know, conundrum or, you know, whatever against a certain product because he knows that I don't want to invest my money and maybe something that would possibly be against my ethics of yeah. or values or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I have some clients who won't, who, who don't invest in petroleum or like, the, like, like, or yeah, there's certain kinds of products like firearms or something like that. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't do, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, stuff, just certain things that they prefer not to put their money towards. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can design portfolios to eliminate that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, I like that you do that. And I love that you're always kind of like researching stuff because I'll hit you up and I'll be like, Hey, Kevin, have you heard of green steel or something like that and a lot of times you're like oh you know what it's so interesting you said that because i was just talking to so-and-so about that and sometimes you're like no i haven't but i want to know what is it i'm gonna look it up and then i'll talk to you again you're like okay so here's the deal this is where we want to do this this isn't this is the best place to go this isn't if you want to do this you should do that so kevin's just like got such a good um amount of information on all that stuff. I highly recommend getting a financial advisor if you don't already have one. And, um, you know, it's not just about investments. People like him have just a lot of really good information about next steps you could take to, um, you know, yeah. make your finance financial situation better for the future or for now. And and a lot, another thing that I, I specialize in is, is I work a lot with people in the arts. So I come from artistic, artistic background. Yes. I like, made my living playing guitar. I still play. I don't play, mm-hmm. for, I make my living playing, but I still am active out, you know, playing gigs and things like that. And so that's a big part of uh, what I do. And a lot of my clients are 
artists, like film composers, you know, dancers. Uh, I've got I've got people who who uh, are retired and, and and they play music. So there's a lot of, and so I understand what it's like to uh, to be an artist and to have a career in the arts because it's really difficult to yeah. have a career in the arts. I mean, it's it's like it's 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 super hard. It's super hard. It's probably harder than being financial advisor to be honest it's, it's, it's you've like seen having, both sides so you know yeah that's yeah. having a career i mean you've really got to get have it together you've got to juggle all these different hats and yeah. things and 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 it's not like like every you know there, there's not it's it's hard because there's not enough room for like like if everyone who wanted to be a rock star could be a rock star there'd be too many rock stars there's not right. enough room for like for every kid who like all those kids at guitar center who play you know right you know? Like, right. they can't, they're not all going to be rock stars. Right. Every kid playing basketball in high school yeah. is not going to be Michael it. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For so. sure. And I think there's a lot of like talk about shame, uh, money shame. People's shame associated with money or their finances is extreme. I learned that a lot in the pandemic because I was helping people try to get loans or uh -huh. to helping them like how to take advantage of some of the government programs. And I was shocked by how much shame everybody met me with. Like I didn't, they were like the first thing they did was almost like apologize to me about their financial situation. And it's like, A, it's none of my business. And also B, like, you don't have to feel bad about that. Like yeah. it is what it is. And you just like figure it out. Um, and also for those who might be interested, there is a 12 step program for that. It's called DA, it's called Debtors Anonymous, and it can help you with managing your money. It's actually a really, really awesome program. It actually has like legit games and tools and shit. It's like, it's a whole it's yeah. a whole thing and I'm going to link it because I think it's such a great program. And I think it's something that like every artist should be in DA just to help with all of it. Like there, because of like, it's hard to negotiate your own rates sometimes if you yeah. haven't been taught that growing up and DA can help with that. So I'm big on that as well. Um, okay. I have one more question for you, Kevin. Sure. Yes. Yes. Now I know that because of our recovery, we are not in the business of giving advice. But I'm wondering if you had any suggestion for anyone who might be suffering right now. Uh, yeah, I would say the first thing is just try to go try to go to a meeting. Just try to go to an OA meeting, or uh, or call. I mean, that would be the first thing. Or, or call someone, or just try. You go to. I think OA has a website, right? Mm -hmm. you, yeah. You can go there and then uh, or and research it. But just also to realize that like this, there's you may not you may not feel it or, or understand it, but there's so many people who are going through whatever, whatever difficulty you're not unique. Someone, mm -hmm. someone has gone through whatever you, you, you've gone through. You're very special, but you are not unique. Yeah. yeah. You're not like there's other male bulimics. There's mm -hmm. other yeah. you know, people who do this, this, these, these things, you know, and you're not, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And the more you, I mean, the more you can just be able to just talk about it and, and, and share it and realize that like like most people most people aren't going to to shame you or judge you for it mm -hmm. you know, for having gone through it um you, there might be some people i mean that but but the, the majority of us are not you know yeah so, so those are people happens. just don't get it they yeah. don't get it yeah and so i and people or people who are from you know the older generation who just are shut down anyhow about yep. everything so yeah so they, why would they empathize with someone who has an eating disorder um, right so, uh, but that I would say try to try to uh, you get to a meeting, and if you can't go on on the website, but try to go get or just try to get talk about it, get help. I mean, mm -hmm. I know there's recovery centers uh, too. There's I don't know if the 
the one in Santa Monica, I don't know if it's still there because of the, the pandemic, but, uh, but there's, there's, there's definitely, they're around, you know? So, um, so that's what I would say. I'd say try to try to find an OA meeting, number one, and go. And then, uh, and, yeah, and go and, and realize it's going to be uncomfortable, you know, but like, you're going to be taking, it's like what, like I heard in a meeting the other day, it's like, choose your pain. Like you're going to, it's going to be painful to continue where you're going, you're going to mm -hmm. path that you're on. It's going to be painful to go to a meeting, but what is the, which pain do you want? Like, I, I think I'd rather take the pain of, of, of going to a meeting. Like, right. For the first time. Like, that's, I've heard of that. I've heard yeah. it. I've heard it in a different, with a different word. I've heard it as choose your hard. Oh, your heart. Okay. Yeah. But, but choose your pain is just as yeah. valid because it yeah. is like your it, things are, you know, choose your suffering, choose your right. pain because life is painful. Life, there is yeah. suffering. There is, life is hard. So you choose your heart, you choose yeah. your pain, you choose your suffering because both are there, right? Getting help is painful. Staying where you're at is painful. Right. Right. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a pain. Sometimes it's a pain to go to the meeting or to get up and go. You, I, I had to go to a meeting. Why do I have to go to a meeting? Like, you know, like why me? You know, like mm -hmm. sometimes I'll get like that. Why me? Why do I have to do it? You know, like, mm -hmm. they, you know, that guy doesn't have to do it. That girl doesn't have to do it. Why do I have to go to these church basements, and, you know, <laughs> on a, you know, Tuesday night? <laughs> Why do I have to do that? I <laughs> you know? know. I know. I'm so yeah. glad you did because I got to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Kevin, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your experience. I'm going to link um, you know, OA obviously is always linked below. I'm going to link broker check. I'm going to link, you know, a bunch of things for people and resources. I can't thank you enough for coming and being a part of Gray Maybe and again, sharing your experience with me. Thank you. Uh, of course, Julian. My pleasure. My pleasure. See you soon. Okay. Take care. Talking to Kevin is always so easy for me. I always feel like he articulates things that I really relate to and without any shame or embarrassment, and often with some lighthearted humor. I remember Kevin in my early days of recovery, before I knew him, before we had ever had a coffee fellowship meetup, before I knew that he played bass or was a financial advisor. He was just another person sitting in a chair across from me in a circular formation talking about food and body stuff. He was one of the people who had it figured out. I was always so impressed with Kevin's ease to speak on things so bravely and so courageously in his well-tailored suit. He always sat back in the chair relaxed with one leg crossed and spoke in an unshakable voice. I remember watching and listening to him thinking, damn, I want to be like that someday. I feel so privileged to be a friend of Kevin's now that I've gotten a bit of recovery myself, I can confirm. Believe Kevin when he says there's a way out and there's a freedom available to you, even if you can't see it or feel it yet. I hope you found something that resonated in my conversation with Kevin today. If you're listening to this episode and you're realizing that you're more like Kevin and I than not, welcome. And I hope this helps you take a step in the direction of recovery. If you haven't already, you're not alone. Just a reminder for anyone who needs to hear it, you don't need to wait until you're sick enough to get help. In fact, you don't have to be sick at all, just a desire to feel a little better. 
If you're listening and right now you're struggling with an ED, disordered eating, or other behaviors, welcome. Know that whatever you're feeling, there are those among us that have probably felt it too. You're not alone. If you're listening because you have someone you love in your life that is suffering or is in recovery for an ED, welcome. You're also not alone. Even having an eating disorder myself, I have not reacted the best I could to others who were struggling before my own recovery. I've attached the do's and don'ts of how to deal with someone suffering in the show notes, as well as how to contact Kevin and myself and various links for help and recovery when and if you're ready. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you were able to find something relatable in today's episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this is also a social experiment to see if in telling my story, I can embolden listeners to share their stories. If you'd like me to read your recovery story on this topic, anonymous or otherwise, on the podcast, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com, G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who helped make this Gray Maybe podcast happen. Producer and editor, Roderick Barge. Cover photo by Jose Perez. Music, licensed by Pixabay. Special counsel, Jada Ellingham and Roderick Barge. Special shout out to supporter, Patty Olgan. If you'd like to support this podcast, please rate, share, comment, and subscribe. Until next time, bye for now.